Hallelujah. Praise God. Now, I don't know how many thousands there were that took of his miracles. It was only 500 who were truly committed enough to be there when he ascended. Of that 500 plus, there's only 120 of them that were willing to step out of their box as the terminology that's been used this week and be there when he actually did what he promised thousands of years before. I think it concerns me so much as we want to move with God as long as it fits our schedule. And I'm, I'm a pretty selfish guy sometimes. And Morgan's got a word from God today. He helped me yesterday. I'm going to get more help today. And I'd just soon give my time up if you're going to press him on the back end of this. I'm serious as I can be. I'd just soon give my time up come now so I can get what I need for that mercy. Uh, there's spirit of revelation here today. Kind of kind of struggling a little. Our brains and spirits are being stretched. And uh, I'm going to hear some stuff today. I already have heard it. But, uh, well, but, uh, We'll go just a little further here. I cannot believe. Well, I can't too. I said too many times. Uh, for the sake of reading, keeping our traditions, amen. Matthew chapter 16. And uh, I don't forget what I told him. Matthew 16, verse 15. 13. He just knows he's got it down at 76 and printed that off today. And then I just took little notes off that. Just so I'd have a prayer of just getting the whatever across. I, I know Brother Shadwell real well. I'm getting to know Brother Morgan well. I respect these men of God. I believe they feel like I do. That there's a there's a partnership that has to be formed between a speaker and the hearers. There has to be trust both ways. The hearers have to trust the speaker to hear from God. But the speaker has to trust the hearers that they're going to take what he's speaking and not leave it where he left it. Because there's no way possible to, to talk about this today if that's not going to be the case. It's just not possible. Uh, I, I, I'm just going to say this. I'm not going to apologize for it. Facts are facts. I, laptops in there. I can on this subject alone, I have somewhere in the neighborhood of 800 pages of notes. I couldn't possibly teach.
Lord says try. So he is a better condenser editor than reading that is. So I'm going to let him do that. Colossians chapter 1. Just to save a little time, I really like to read the whole chapter, but I can't. Uh, if you'd permit me, I'm going to cover a few points here. Uh, I'm, I'm having just a little problem reading through these glasses. Over the last two weeks, the Lord is healing my eyes gradually. And I can't see quite good enough with them off yet. I can't see good with them on anymore. Uh, I've had some days I can read completely without glasses for the first time in 11 years. It was last week. And uh, so if I, if I miss a few words, it's because it's fuzzy, because these glasses are too strong. Um, Colossians 1, just a couple of places here, if I could just touch a few places. Uh, Maybe I can read fast. Colossians 1, let's start with verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard of it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that ye might be filled with the knowledge of His will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power, unto, his, unto all patience and suffering with joyfulness giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of, of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions, dominions or principalities or power, all things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and by him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made, uh, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say, whether they be things in, in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel, which ye have heard, which, ye, which was preached to every creature, which is under heaven, whereof I, Paul, am made a minister, who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church, whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
want to talk to you today just a little while on Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. God bless you. You may be seated. Let's talk just a little bit about Christ, who Christ is. Um, now, I, I didn't come here to rock your theology. Well, maybe I did. I'm asking you to be patient with me. Unfortunately, in this kind of a setting and context, there is not time to dot the I's and cross the T's and throw so many scriptures at you that you, you don't have any choice but to accept the point. So I just have to make the points and trust God and you with the points and whatever you do with them, between you and God. Um, when I received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, I received a portion of the divine nature. Okay? I received a portion of the divine nature. I did not receive Christ. I was baptized into Christ. But for the last 46 years, I've been in the process of allowing Christ to be formed in me. Paul said in Galatians 4.19, I travail in birth again for you till Christ be formed in you. I submit to you today that one of the reasons that the body of Christ appears to be so impotent is that we are so focused on being filled with the Spirit of God that we don't realize we've had that from the beginning. That I receive the divine nature from the first moment I become a son of God. But the entire rest of my walk with God is an effort to have Christ formed in me. Oh God, I'm out of the boat and I'm about to let go of the rail. Hallelujah. The question is, who is Christ? Uh, I was in a situation recently where I was doing a question and answer session and someone asked me, uh, what part of Christ is deity? And I said, none. Definition of deity being omnipotent, omnipresent, in time and space, well, in any part of Christ, deity. There was, a, there was part of Him that was divine, but not deity. Divine meaning its source was in deity. The seed that fertilized the egg of the woman was the Word. The Word was divine. It was not deity. Oh, but the Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. No, the Greek is literally, and God was the Word. Because the Word proceeded from God. Well, who is God? 1 Corinthians 8 and 6, But to us there is but one God, the Father. There's only one God, that's the Father. The deity in Christ is not the Son, of course, 
the deity in Christ is the Father. Jesus said, I am in my Father. My Father is in me. God is, God the Father is omnipotent. He fills all space. He is infinite. He is eternal. There is a problem with being infinite and eternal. And that is, you cannot be temporal and finite at the same time that you are infinite and eternal. So God had to have a means whereby He could inject Himself. The God the Father, the infinite eternal one, had to have a means whereby He could inject Himself into time in the temporal into the finite. That's Word. That's what Word is. That's the Logos. Logos spoken is Rhema. Brother Stone King preached about it last night. In fact, I, I was really fussing with God. I didn't want to preach this today. It's not exactly the kind of thing you can... Doesn't fit with a whole lot of stuff very easily. Even though I got a sneaking suspicion that Brother Morgan's gonna take this and go a lot farther with it. But so let me lay a little foundation here for that, alright? Alright? This is our problem, you see. We don't really understand the Godhead. Oh, there's one God. Whoopee! Good, that's good. Now that you just got out of preschool, let's start kindergarten. That's right. The devil believes there's one God. So, the mystery that's been hidden from ages is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Wait a minute. I've got God in me. That's what you got when you got redeemed. But if you and I are going to be used of God, if we're going to be a part of God's end time eternal plan, we're going to have to have more than God in us. We're going to have to have Christ in us. You're making two persons. Oh, no, I'm not. No, 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 no. I'm not making two persons at all. But to us there's but one God the Father, infinite and eternal, and one Lord Jesus Christ. We have the infinite eternal one and the one infinite eternal one Injected into temporal and finite. Hallelujah. Christ is the Son of God. The Son of God is not necessarily Christ. The word Christ comes from the Greek word Christos, which comes from the Hebrew word Messiah, which means the anointed one. The Son of God speaks of the body. That body that was formed by, by the seed of the Logos fertilizing the egg of the woman. But the Son of God is not Christ apart from the anointing Spirit of the Father. The word Christ speaks of the Father manifested in time in the body of the Son. Hallelujah. Some of you don't have, you don't, you are scared to death where I'm going with this. 
This isn't even where I'm going. I'm just trying to establish a point here. This is our problem, you see. Terminology used in the Scripture is the Christ of God. Of God is a prepositional phrase of possession. So Christ is not God. He is the Christ of God. He is also the Lord's, apostrophe S, Christ. You're undeifying Jesus. Oh no. Because when you, when you, when many of us refer to Jesus, we're just like the Trinitarians. We think of the Son. But according to the Word of God, when you say the name Jesus, you're referring to the Father. Pastor's been so kind in the evenings to host us in his home. We go to the Dillon's residence. That's not just a house. That's the Dillon's residence. You can drive by there and nobody may be home. It's the Dillon's residence, but nobody's home. So to separate deity from Christ and calling Jesus is not possible. It's Jesus' residence. So, what is Christ? Christ is the anointed Word. It is the means whereby the eternal divine, uh, uh, the eternal Spirit of God, the deity, injects itself into time and eternity. I mean, in the time and the temporal, the finite. Hallelujah. Mm. Now, Paul was of the opinion that this was a great mystery that is being manifest to the saints even though it's been hid for ages and that it has something to do with Gentile revival. Brother Morgan, it has something to do according to that previous verse with Gentile revival. This revelation has something to do with the harvest of the Gentiles. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, part of our problem is this. The word hope to us is connota connotates wishing. Biblical hope is not anywhere close to the English word wishing. Biblical hope is stronger than faith. There are about a three. Faith, hope, and charity. The word hope means confident expectation. It is no longer believing. It is now knowing Hope is greater than faith. The church of the living God has got to get beyond faith to knowing. It is a confident assurance that it, it, it's not going to happen. It, it's happening. Whether I see it this second or not, it's happening. And I don't have to wonder if it happens if I speak the Word. It's going to happen. That's hope. Christ in you not you in Christ. That happens at salvation, at redemption. But you in Christ. Something that Paul was, was trying to get across to the Galatians. They, they, he said, you started out the Spirit, but now you reverted to the flesh. 
And the reason you're doing all of this spiritual stuff through your own intellect and own wisdom and own strength is because Christ is lacking in you. Christ didn't need you. I'm travailing in birth again for you till Christ be formed in you. And he had some degree of trepidation and it wasn't going to happen and his work was going to be wasted. But he who is the image of the invisible God, the visible representation and manifestation of that which cannot be seen any other way, the revelation that he is in me, gives me confident expectation of glory. The word glory there, doxa, means the self-manifestation of the self-revelation of God. We can, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I'll draw men unto me. Until our individual lives and our collective gatherings are characterized by the, the manifestation and the revelation of God Himself to us and through us, we're never going to have the impact we say we want to have and say we believe God wants us to have. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Well, Paul said to the Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth. He didn't say God lives in me. That's a foregone conclusion. I know that God lives in me, but does Christ live in me? In order to have Christ living in me, I've got to be crucified. Some, something of me's got to die. Something of me's got to be surrendered. Because Logos is the plan, the purpose of God, the will of God. And when that anointed plan, purpose, and will of God becomes the Lord of my life, I have confident expectation that God's going to manifest Himself and reveal Himself in and through me. When the anointed Word becomes the rule and the law of my life, when my will is no longer even an issue, because it's no longer just God in me competing with my will, but I have given up my will that Christ, the anointed Logos of God, becomes the rule of my life. Then I will have confident expectation that God's going to reveal Himself and manifest Himself. Hallelujah. I know this is a far cry from three songs and testimony service and offering and a preaching service with a little bit of all we call it. Christ in me. How do I get Christ in me? I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Whose faith? You see, that's the difference between having deity and having deity and Christ in you. If I just have deity in me, I live by my faith. If I have deity and Christ in me, I live by Christ's faith. What was Christ's faith? Whatever the Father says, I say. Whatever I see the Father do, I do. The Son can do nothing of Himself. 
I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I. But Christ liveth in me. And one of my favorite, probably, I, I really have to say, other than the name of Jesus, my favorite word in all of the Bible is the life that I now. That gives me hope. Paul reached a now. Paul didn't say, I hope to be crucified with Christ. You know, I've heard it said, if you say you're humble, you're not. Well, that's not true about being crucified. If you know you're crucified, you can say you're crucified. Paul said, I am crucified. That's a, that's a past, perfect tense kind of deal. It's, a, it's one of those things that's, that's always in the process, but yet it's completed. I am crucified with Christ. In other words, I completed it today. I'm going to have to do it again tomorrow. I die daily, he said. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I. Now, I can live with God in me. I can live with, the, with deity and divine. I can be a partaker of divine nature and I can live. But if Christ is going to live in my heart, if the anointed logos of God is going to be the rule of my life, I can't have a will anymore. That's why Colossians 3.3 3 says, Ye are dead and your lives are hid with Christ in God. I'm dead in Christ. Christ is alive in me. And we, Christ and I, are hid in God. Hallelujah. How can I get there? Just hang on. God's working on it. It's called crucifixion. It's that stuff yesterday. By withhold rain and pestilence and all that stuff. God's working on that. You see, you can't crucify yourself. That's suicide. God can't crucify you, that's murder. So there has to be an agent of crucifixion. An agent is someone permitted to do the crucifying. That's why the devil's a good devil. He is stupid enough to do God's will. He does what God can't do. He's a murderer. Crucifixion is murder. God can't murder. So the very things we resist and resent are the very things that God is allowing Satan to do to do what he can't do and we can't do. He's not a murderer and I can't commit spiritual suicide. That's why the thorn in the flesh has to be infirmities, reproaches, necessities, persecutions, and distresses. That's why Paul said, if I have a choice, I prefer infirmities, reproaches, necessities, distresses, persecutions. That's my choice. Why? Because that's doing in me what God can't do and I can't do. It's crucifying me. It's making me weak so Christ can be strong. That's why the Bible says it to the Galatians, he said, they that are Christ have crucified their flesh with the affections and lust thereof. But that's about the only time the Greek word is translated affections. It's almost always translated suffering. So they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with their sufferings and their lust. Well, I know, I got some idea how the, the lusts are supposed to be crucified. I'm supposed to say no to them. How do I crucify my flesh to suffering? 
I quit resisting and resenting the suffering. Anybody here want to be a son of God? Anybody want to be a son of God? Well, let me tell you the rule for the Son of God. He saved others. Himself He cannot save. You want to be a son of God? This is the rule of ministry for the Son of God. He prays for others to be delivered and prays for patience while He's not delivered. But what do most people of God do? They prove they only have deity. They don't have Christ. Because if they do pray, it's get me out of this, take this away, heal me from this, supply this, take care of all of this. All I'm doing is saying, I'm not crucified to my sufferings. I don't have Christ. I don't, I don't want to be weak. I want to be strong. If it costs me power, so be it. Just let me have comfort here. This is the revelation that's been hid from ages and generations that's directly connected with the harvest of the Gentiles. Brother Morgan, the reason why it's easier to preach about a future tense revival than to believe it's here right now, because if I believed it was here right now, that would demand a change in my priorities and schedule. Brother, my son Joel's here, but also Brother Mike Hughes, the ministry's coordinator to Antioch. He's the power behind the bishop. We have 12 congregations that meet on Sunday morning other than in our location. About half our congregations in, at the Mother Church, the other 12 is out all over the place. Some is more, much as 45 miles away. We're about split evenly between the 12 and us uh, the Mother Church. And uh, he'll... So brother, brother, you does all of the, all the work necessary to have those congregations where I don't have to do the details. I have a job. My job description is to set policy, direction, and to find the purpose and to supply the authority behind the people to do the work. That's my job. Counsel at the hospital? Not my job. My job is to provide the direction, the policy, and the authority for the people that do those things. Why? Well, you know, we say we're apostolic, but have you ever tried to imagine the apostles having church like we do? Have you ever tried to imagine Jesus and his disciples? doing what we do? Now, we do make the dedication. I believe we do dedication like this. But I can just see Jesus. He's standing out there on the hillside with thousands of people he taught. Now, whatever one would like to have their baby dedicated, come down front here. We're going to have this. We're just going to do this. Or let's, let's sing to everybody that's got a birthday here.
I could just see Jesus making announcements and He didn't have overhead. We say we want revival, but we're, there's something so dear to us, we can't imagine changing them. Have you ever sat down and thought, if, if God did what I say I believe, and this weekend this church doubled, could I continue? Is, would I have to change anything? Well, let me ask you a question. Everything you'd have to change then, when is it better to change it? Change it before you need to change it? So there's not some big trauma that goes on in the midst of trying to take care of all those babies? You know, the purpose of vision is supposedly to give you some forewarning of what's going to happen so you can be prepared for it. You know, my daughter-in-law is expected number four. Joel's not married yet. He's almost 22 and my eldest is 30. They've got number three, number four will be here in March. Well, the Lord gives us a sign. It's a swelling abdomen. We've seen it three times. It means you sure better be doing something because there's another one coming here that needs a bed to be in. We don't go to the hospital and get the baby and then decide to prepare. I had a preacher call me. Brother Wright, God's promised us a 50-soul revival. And, I, and, and, and how did I get off this? This is not the subject here. God's promised us a 50-soul revival. We're fasting. We're praying. And, 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 and we're doing all this stuff, and why isn't it happening? I said, well, let me ask you a question. What if this Sunday you pray for 50 people? Do you know what you do with them? How would you take care of them? Well, we just take care of them. And I said, not good enough. That's not good enough. If you had faith that you're going to have a soul revival, would you prepare? Would you train the people to do the various things that have to be done to have 50 people come in at once? We can shout over believing something we don't believe. Faith without... Hmm. Faith without works is dead. We started with two people, so I want to address these 21 homers. When do you start training leadership? I don't know. When two become three, I guess. When that first one comes, start trying to you train leadership. That's why Brother Libby was only in our church two and a half years from the time he got saved before he became a pastor. Because as soon as he got baptized, we started leadership training. It's, 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 you know, we talk about stuff we don't believe. Our actions prove that, that they don't match our words. We feel good about ourselves because we're believing for something that we don't believe. We do baby dedications. I don't remember the last baby I've dedicated. I guess it's been 
this is maybe one or two in the last five years I've had my hands on it. I don't really, maybe I have, maybe I haven't. We just line them all up across the front. Usually there's 12, 15 of them, and all the people come with them. I just call for the elders. Here's the bottle, bottle passing around. It takes about five, seven, ten minutes at most. About 15 pages of education. That's not very personal. So, I'm not there to be a dedicated baby, so I'm trying to reach the lost. So, there's going to be a day we're not even going to be able to do that much. You think I'm going to keep 5,000 people sitting? Will I dedicate one baby? You think you'll have a, have a building with two, three, four, five hundred sinners sitting there in a church service? And I'm gonna I'm gonna stop all of that and dedicate one baby. If you if you wouldn't do that either, when are you gonna start changing it? Christ in you the hope of glory. I need to get back on the subject. It's a lot easier to defend all that, isn't it? Praise God. I need to get to the place where I let Christ dwell in my heart. Listen to this. This is good stuff here. First, Ephesians chapter 1. Let's go there just a minute here. I don't know what I got these notes up here for. I'll never get to them and I quit worried about them. So, here we go. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. Now, Galatians and Ephesians, these are different folks. Paul constantly had to correct the Galatians, but the Ephesians, he's going, sick them, boys. Let's go get them. So, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17, verse 16. Cease not to give thanks, uh, verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That word knowledge there is a full and complete knowledge. Not a casual acquaintance. Having a real handle on who He is and what His purpose is and what He wants to do. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what is the riches of the glory of His, His inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and set Him at His own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under His feet, Christ's feet, and gave Him to be the head over all things to the church, which is His body, Christ's feet, Christ's body, Christ the head of the body, and His body is the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. With the full, we are the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. He prayed that the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him would come to us so that we would know the hope of His calling. 
and the riches of His inheritance in the saints. And by getting that knowledge, then we're going to have the knowledge. He's Christ. He's the head of the body. We're Christ's body. Christ's feet is on Christ's body. And He's put all things under His feet. like standing in water up to your neck. Your head is in one dimension, your body is in another, but it's one body. Right here. The dividing line is the neck, you see. And of course, the ministry is not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. The ministry is the neck. Necks aren't very glorious. I'm not putting down the ministry. But everything that comes from the head to the body passes through the neck. That's the purpose of the ministry. Not to think. Faces have expressions. Necks don't. Necks don't attract attention to, attention to themselves. Necks support the head and connect the head to the body. And all of life passes from the head through the neck to the body. And part of the neck is in heavenly places and part of the neck is in the water. Food comes through the head, through the neck to the body. Air comes through the head, through the neck to the body. All the instructions come from the head, through the neck to the body. Hey, being a neck is an easy job. You just make sure there's no obstruction. You don't want any instruction, obstructions in the neck. So that all of the good stuff from the head that's coming in and through the head to the body can pass without any hindrance. So that the head is lifted up. So that the head gets the glory. So the head is the one who, 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 that we all focus on. The better job a neck does, the less it's noticed. Woo! You know, I, I doubt you could get very many people to attend the conference if you if you had a list of all the speech speakers. Just put brother neck, brother neck, brother neck, brother neck. Nobody wants to come here next. Nobody wants to come here next. But until people are hearing necks and not heads, we're never going to be what God wants us to be. Oh, God, help every ministry in this place to give up its head complex and be willing to accept being a neck. The body needs a neck. The body needs necks. The body needs necks. Hallelujah. Let's worship Him a little bit. I feel the Holy Ghost in the house. My God, my God, my God, my God, my God, my God. My God. My greatest ambition is to be a neck. Jesus, make me the best neck I can be. 
I don't want any constrictions in, in, the, in the neck. I, I don't want any obstructions in the neck. I want everything to be able to flow freely and clearly both ways. You know, somehow, the neck's got to do a good job because it kind of channels the stuff. Your neck doesn't work right. Food goes down into your lungs. Air goes into your stomach. That neck's the next job. Get that good stuff to the right place. All that information passes through here. We'll be a part of that. Heads do not exercise authority. Hands exercise authority. Feet exercise authority. We're waiting for Christ to do something He cannot do. He gives the word, we do the authority. God's authority in the earth is severely obstructed right now because we're waiting for Christ to exercise His authority and He's waiting on His, uh, His body to take the authority that He's passing through it to do what He's telling it to do. Jesus' name. Now, if you go to chapter 3 of Ephesians, you find out what the results for you and I personally is supposed to be because of Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1. We'll start verse 13, verse 14, just to save a little time. There's some good stuff between those two readings, but not time to do it. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of my Lord of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man. Now, if this happens, if this strengthening with might by His Spirit in the inner man happens, here is the result. That, and the word that there in the Greek means it's the result of or because of, because of this strengthening with might by His Spirit in the inner man, Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. In other words, Christ is obstructed or has, has a difficult time dwelling in my heart. Christ dwelling in me. I'm in Christ at baptism. But Christ dwelling in me, for that to take place, my inner man has to be strengthened with might. And the result of that is that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. And what is going to be the result of His body getting to that place? Now unto Him that is able to do exceeding abundantly love, all that we ask or think according to the power. You see, we get to that verse. Here we go again. Yesterday's message. We get to that verse by skipping all the foundation to it. Please go back to verse 16. 
that he, no, excuse me, yeah, this is it, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in your inner man. What's that talking about? What just happened here from about quarter to ten until eleven fifteen. You see, Adam wasn't created with a need for this. He was created with this. But sin damaged his inner man and brought weakness to his inner man. There became things in Adam's life he could no longer do. You and I come to God already in that condition. There are things we can't do. The Greek word translated might there, that's one of the few times that dunamis is translated might. It's the word normally translated power. The word dunamis literally means supernatural ability to do what you can't do naturally. It is an impartation from God to do supernaturally what you cannot do through your own strength. So my inner man needs repair. The word strengthen implies what you do to something that's weak. Something that's weak or damaged. And in my inner man, in the walls of salvation that I should have been created with, but because of sin I was not, there are breaches in, the, in that protection of my inner man. That's why Jesus said something you and I cannot say. John 14.30 said, don't go there please. Uh, we'll just stay right there. Uh, John 14.30, Jesus said, uh, the prince of this world cometh, but he hath nothing in me. There's nothing in me that gives him power over me. There's nothing in him me that gives him influence over me. There's nothing in me that's his. But you and I can't say that. We've got weak, weakened things. Now again, he is preaching to baptize in Jesus' name filled with the Holy Ghost people. This isn't talking to sinners. This is talking to saints. This is talking to people that are living for God. This is people He called in the first chapter of the church. And He prayed for them in verse 14 and 15 that they would, that God would grant them according to the riches of His glory that they would be strengthened with God's supernatural ability to do what they can't do on their own by strengthening them in their inner man. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. And here's the thing that's so awesome about this. If you don't have any weaknesses, God's in the business of creating some. I spent the first 10, 12, 15 years of my ministry trying to prove God how strong I was the whole time. He was my adversary. He was trying to prove me how weak I was. I wanted to be strong so I could have power, and I didn't understand he, he wanted me to be weak so I could have power. Because strength exercising power takes the credit. Weakness exercising the power gives him the credit. So he does not give me the ability to do anything. He takes his own supernatural might, puts it in my weaknesses in my inner man, and, and His ability becomes my ability to do what I can't. My God, my God, my God. Hallelujah. What's the result of that? 
Christ, that Christ may dwell in your heart. That the supernatural anointed word of God would become the law and the rule of the Lord of your life. And the result of that will be? The result of that will be being rooted and grounded in love. No more inconsistency. No, no more inconsistency. My consistency isn't because I've suddenly gotten rid of all my problems. My consistency is a product of the fact I acknowledge my problems and therefore depend on them each day to be my ability to do what I have not been able to do on my own. What's the next result of that? That I'll be able to comprehend, to apprehend is actually the word. I'm going to get a hold of the breadth and the length and the head, the height and the depth. In other words, I'm going to get rid of this little Pentecostal tunnel vision. And I'm going to get a picture of God I've never had before in my life. That God's a lot bigger than just dancing and shouting a little bit on Sunday night, calling that good church. That it's going to be affecting my community and turning it upside down and in, in, in my, in my, my county and my state being rocked by the Word of God and, and rec recognizing that the, the governor and the county commissioner, executive, whatever you call him, and the mayor of your city is not the authority in your city. I am the authority in Annapolis, Maryland. We have federal government, state government, county government, city government, all in Annapolis, Maryland. They don't know it yet, but they're going to find out that nobody in that city has more authority than I do. I'm the bishop of that city, and there was no church there, and according to the definition of apostle, I'm the apostle of that city. There was no church there, and that's what an apostle is, one that's sent. One sent with the authority to establish what's not there. I'm not saying I'm anybody else's apostle, but I'm the apostle of that city. And I'm the bishop of that city. I'm nobody else's bishop, but I'm the bishop of that city. The problem is, it's too easy to just sit back and let come what may. Instead of exercising that authority. Somebody tell me the difference between authority that's not used and not having any authority. No difference. No difference. There's no difference between having no authority and not using the authority you have. There's no difference. But see, when I don't know Christ is dwelling in my heart, there is a passivity that comes. It's a survival mentality. I don't want to stir anybody up. A friend of mine, a friend of mine, please understand I said a friend of mine. And if you know who this man is, you can tell him this if you want to, but he's my friend. Was speaking at the National Youth Workers Center. And said to these National Youth Workers that they were training, he said, I don't get too involved in spiritual warfare, I want peace in my life. Well, let me tell you something, friend. That's not peace, that's surrender. I said, that's not peace, that's surrender. And if you are not, if you're not having problems, you're battling your church, if everything's going along just fine, and, and everybody in the community kind of likes you, and you like them, and there's no problems going on, you're not doing good, you're doing really bad. 
you're not doing good. You're, you know, the mayor and the city council, everybody just likes you. County people, state people, they all just love you. They think you're just great. You're not doing good. I forgot where I was. I'm, I'm really sorry. I, I didn't mean it. I saw some faces that told me, I'm not giving up my relationship with so-and-so and so. Well, I didn't say, say give them up. I'm just saying, don't cater to it. Don't change who you are to win their acceptance. Obey God and not man. Even if it means it's going to bring a little heat on your friend. I know some of you think I'm meddling now, but I, I kind of thought it was the Lord. And the next thing he says is this. That you can be rooted and grounded in love. That you can know the love of Christ and experiential love. And that you can be filled with all the fullness of God. I'm sorry. I don't mean this critically at all. Honestly. I don't mind anybody can honestly say with a straight face with any kind of objectivity that the body of Christ currently appears to be filled with all I'm sorry. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now, I'm not being critical. I'm just simply saying we don't have to accept this. We don't have to stay here. There is a revelation. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I, I need I need to travail again till Christ is formed in me. And then as the neck, if I can get Christ formed in me, then I can travail and minister and lead till Christ is formed in them. And when Christ gets formed in them and is formed in all of us, then I can have confident expectations. God's going to start manifesting Himself. God's going to start revealing Himself. Yeah. That's what I want. That's what I want. Let's pray this thing. Jesus' name. 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. Just 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 a couple of minutes and I'll be done, I promise. God gave Adam dominion. Adam surrendered that dominion of Satan. That's exactly the word Satan used when he said to Jesus, if you'll bow down and worship me, I will give to you the kingdoms that were, the Greek word is handed over to me. The dominion and the kingdoms that were handed over to me, surrendered to me. That's one of the reasons why Jesus is called the second Adam or the last Adam. Because it was God's full intention 
to provide a means whereby that authority and dominion could be taken back from Satan. That's why Ephesians 6 tells us the authority of the church. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. That's why it says that. That's why it says that. That's why Jesus said, Behold, I give you power. The Greek word is exousia, which is authority. I give you power to tread up the serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing like shall by any means hurt you. It's because of this authority given to us. The believer has five dimensions of authority. According to Mark chapter 16, verses 17, 18, 19, 20, he has five dimensions of authority. First, the first and foremost, he has authority over devils. Cast out devils in my name. Second, he has, he's given dominion through the authority of Christ over his own body. Anybody can tame their own, tame their tongue, can tame their own body. Through the Holy Ghost, I speak in other tongues which is the empowerment to tame my body because my tongue is my most unruly member. So I'm given authority over devils and I'm given authority over my own body. Those are my two biggest adversaries in this warfare. Third, I'm given authority over nature. Take up serpents. I'm given authority over nature and any harmful effects of nature. Third, as a believer, I'm given authority over man and man's attempt to come against the body of Christ. I drink any deadly thing and not hurt, not give authority. Because the, because the second and the third are conditional, it's not something I initiate, it's something I respond to, both nature and the offenses of man. But I'm given authority in both those areas. And then finally, I'm given authority over sickness. The reason I'm given this authority is to confirm the word. So that I'm not preaching an unconfirmed word. An unconfirmed word will never reach the world. So I have authority over devils, authority over my own flesh, I have authority over nature, I have authority over men who would attack me, and I have authority over sickness and disease. And if I exercise this authority, or I allow Christ to exercise this authority through me, then the kingdom of God established. Jesus taught us to pray, Thy kingdom come. What does it mean, the kingdom come? Jesus said, If I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God's come to you. There's three elements to the coming of the kingdom of God. First, the sanctification of His name. Second, the manifestation of His power. Third, is His will being imposed, or not imposed, but injected into the earth again from heaven. Those are the three elements of the kingdom of God coming. That is the work of the church on earth is for the kingdom of God to be manifested. The preaching of the kingdom of God was the message. John preached the kingdom of God. Jesus preached the kingdom of God. The disciples were before the Holy Ghost in Luke 9 and Matthew 10 were, were told to preach the kingdom of God. Philip went into Samaria preaching the kingdom of God. Paul preached the kingdom of God. Jesus, before his ascension in Acts chapter 1, spoke the things concerning the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God cometh not with observations within you. The kingdom of God is not in word but in power. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink but righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. 
you and I are called, according to the book of Revelation, to become kings and priests. There was approximately 13 years between David's anointing as king and his crowning as king. But he spent those 13 years exercising the anointing in order to qualify for the crowning. We are not going to be crowned kings and priests till we get to heaven. But we are in the 13-year period of training as David was here on earth as the body of Christ. He exercised all of that authority and anointing on earth as an anointed king before he was a crowned king. You are not qualified to be a king and priest in heaven unless you're exercising the dominion of kingship here. And the word kingdom actually means the exercising of dominion. That's what we're doing. We're exercising the dominion of kingship. We are in training. It wasn't a 17-year-old boy that faced Goliath. It was an anointed king that faced Goliath. Forget his age. He was not a crowned king. We don't get our crowns to Revelation chapter 4 and 5. But we have our anointing as king. And there is authority in the anointing. But what you don't use, you lose. I said what you don't use, you lose. Christ is in me, the hope of glory. You know, you know where Christ is right now? There's one throne, and there's one sitting on that throne. Up there. But you know where else Christ is sitting right now? Dwelling in my heart by faith. Do you know what that means? Everything He is in heaven right now, He is on earth. What's the deal? The deal is according to 1 John chapter 4, and I'm just skimming the Himalayas right here. Okay? The Scripture says in John, 1 John chapter 4, As He is, so are, are, not was, not will be, as He is, so are we in this world. Is this Christ? Is this Christ? You know, you and I have worked with stuff like this for a long time. We've seen God do some awesome stuff. But I'm not prepared yet to say that what I've seen Christ, what the Bible says Christ is, I've seen happen here. What's the problem? We need the revelation. As was preached yesterday, we're waiting on something that's already happened. I quit with this. Jesus' last prayer with the disciples before he went to Gethsemane was he prayed this. Father, I don't pray for you to take them out of the world. I just pray you keep them from the evil. Closer that fits with our doctrine of spiritual isolation. Uh, sanctify them through thy truth. But the purpose of sanctification was not to get them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil of the world. 
Why? Because he said, Father, as you sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. You are not called of God to come to church. You are called of God to go into the world. Miracles inside a building do nothing for God. It becomes entertainment for people. But when the body of Christ, I don't mean preachers, I mean the body of Christ, the believers, go throughout this earth exercising their sonship in the kingdom that is in them because Christ is in them and they know it. We're going to see what God has promised happen, happen in this earth. The day we get unchurch oriented, the day we realize that church is just a place to come to, be trained and prepared to go out like Jesus went out, is the day we're going to see stuff happen like never before. But I've got to confess to you, most of my ministry I've spent trying to get people to come to church. I haven't done a very good job trying to get people to leave church and go out. I have done it. I've tried to get people out of the world rather than getting them prepared to go into the world but not be a part of the evil of the world. But if I read what Jesus preached in John 17, his last prayer, last recording of any length, that was what this is all about. Not trying to get people out of their families, off their job, out of their world. But trying to get them saved, trying to get them cleaned up, sanctified, holy, trying to get Christ in their hearts so that they love Christ more than they love what's out there. So they can go out there, back out there where the people are and reach the people without being tempted to do the stuff the people are doing. That's what Christ did. That's why instead of sitting down with the holy, he was accused of being the friend of sinners. And yet he never sinned. Can you imagine that? Fellowshipping with sinners and yet never sinning? We don't believe that's possible, Brother Dylan. Oh, God. I, hallelujah. I sure just crossed some lines here. Right now I can feel you, feel some of you drawing back from me. But I'm on the Lord's side. Which side are you on? I, I want to do what Jesus did. Who do you want to be like? That's who I want to be like, Jesus. I want the people that I lead and pastor to be like Jesus. I want them to do what Jesus did. My God. That's enough. I want us to stand and pray right now. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Revival is not going to happen in a church building. Harvest is not going to happen in a church building. Churches are going to be training places. They're going to be places for leadership meetings. They're going to be places where people come just to get instruction and to go back out there where the lost are. We're going to become Christ-centered, not church-centered. Come on, let's pray. I said we're going to become Christ-centered, not church-centered.
Holiness is going to be that which happens to us to enable us to go into the world but not become a part of the world. Holiness is what's going to let us fulfill our mission of being sent out like Christ was sent out and yet not participating in the evil of where we're going. Hallelujah! Let the church arise. Let the church arise. Come on. Let the church arise. Let the church arise and go forth. Christ cannot go forth till the church arises and goes forth. Because the church is the body of Christ. And Christ can't go where His church won't go. The Spirit of God is everywhere, but Christ isn't. I'm going to say that one again. The Spirit of God is everywhere, but Christ isn't. You are the only Christ this world's ever going to see. The Spirit of God is everywhere, but the Savior isn't. The Lord saved God the Father, saved the world through Christ. He had to have a man to work through. Hallelujah. Come on, we need to pray just a minute here. Just a minute here. We need to pray just a minute here. Come on, some of you need to drink a little water with this, this food. Some of you are choking because you haven't sipped any, any spirit here in a little bit. Come on, let the Holy Ghost bear witness with your spirit. Let the, let the Spirit of God bear witness with your spirit. I'm not asking you to believe what I preach today. I'm asking you to go to the book like the Bereans did and, and check it out and see whether or not it's true. That's all I ask. I don't ask you to believe me. I don't ask you to believe a word I said today. But would you be as noble as the Bereans and go, to go back to the book and see for yourself whether or not this is what the book's saying? I was raised in the South in Pentecost. I know what tr traditional Pentecost says. But somewhere along the line, we're going to make a choice between our traditional concept and what the Word of God says. If you're going to be a part of Christ and a part of the body of Christ, you're going to make some hard choices. Some of you are going to lose some friends over those choices. Brother Yu was saved in our church. He, he doesn't know anything about Pentecost except what he's seen in our church. And uh, he was surprised at the difference in the crowd Wednesday night and Thursday night. He said, is that because most churches have their services on Wednesday night? I said, yeah, many of them. He said, is that why you had church on Thursday night? And I said, now, that's why we now have church on Monday nights and Thursday night, because there's too many people doing it on, on Thursday nights. I want to be like you in water baptism. I want to be like you in the infilling of the Holy Ghost. I want to be like you in commitment and in holiness. I want to be like you in walking with God. But I don't want to be anything like anything. They're just as like everybody else. Nothing. This is what I want to be like. Right here. This is what I want to be like. Regardless of the price. 
between you and Jesus. Is that the way you feel? One more time before Brother Dylan comes. Can we just talk to the Lord just a little bit? Now, some of you are struggling with, with what I preached. But if you can't run with a, foot, with a footman, how are you going to run with a horseman that's about to come? You can't handle what I just preached here. How, how, you gonna, how in the world are you going to handle what's about to be preached? Come on now. Let's get our hearts and minds into the Spirit. Jesus' name. Jesus' name. Come on, raise your hearts to the Lord and let's praise Him right now. Let's thank Him.